the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Isaiah the prophet has said, I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare your way. It'll be like the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his paths. So, John came preaching in the desert, in the wilderness near the Jordan. And the whole Judean countryside came out to hear him and be baptized for the remission of sins. His garments were made out of camel's hair. Around his waist he wore a leather belt. And his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop and untie. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit! I wrote that a long time ago. Mark. My name is Mark. John. Mark. When I was born, I was given the name John. And then when I was reborn, my father in the faith gave me the name Mark. From the Latin, Marcus, not Marcellus. <laughs> Marcellus means little hammer. Marcus means big hammer. I am one of the last living eyewitnesses of the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's one other, but he's old. John Bar Zebedee on the Isle of Patmos. Now, if he were here with you tonight, probably all he would say is, Brothers, Love one another. Now, there are those who believe that because of the brevity of his message, he's gone daft in his head. But I've known John since he and his brother could take on a whole village bare-knuckled and send them screaming for help. But that was before he got a hold of them. No, John were here. His message would not be short due to his memory, but rather the shortness of breath. I knew them all, and they're all gone. Simon, Andrew, his younger brother, James, brother John, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, his brother, James, son of Alphaeus, and James's son, Thaddeus, Judas, in time, you understand, Judas was not that popular of a name, so Thaddeus just became Thaddeus. Thomas, the doubter. Thomas 
asked me one time, he said, Mark, if you're going to be writing, do you think perhaps you can write about the times that I didn't doubt? It's not something I did all the time. Could you talk about when I said, I will go with Jesus. We can all die with him. And could you mention the fact that I've done a little mission work in my life too? And would you say that for me, please? And I looked at him and I said, I doubt it. They all surround us like a great cloud of witnesses. Thus said the Hebrew writer. Ah, that Hebrew writer, a mysterious one, no? Hundreds of years you've wondered who wrote Hebrews? I know who wrote Hebrews. No. <laughs> I was in and out of Simon's house more times than a tax collector's hand is in a poor man's pocket. And what a house that was. Simon had married Abigail, the daughter of a fisherman. And Simon wanted to be a fisherman himself. And in that house lived his brother Andrew and his family and Abigail's mother, old Hannah, the most mean, cantankerous woman you'd ever care to see. And she smelt bad too. Nothing to do to please the woman. I would just be coming inside the house and she'd say, Why, John, you sound like a pack of wild Gentiles. Get out of here, boy. And nothing Simon could do ever to please her. He'd bring in some fish. Not a usual occurrence for Simon to mention. And she'd take a fish from him and say, I call this a fish. It looks more like bait. A hard woman. Always talking about how much better her daughter could have done marrying someone else. And that was before Simon went into the ministry. <laughs> Simon was not religious. At the age of 15, young Jewish boys, we'd all have the opportunity to go to the rabbi and ask him this question. Can I be like you? If the rabbi said yes, then for the next few years, that young man would have the opportunity, if he were fortunate, to someday become a rabbi himself. And no greater respect could be garnered than to be a rabbi. Nothing like that for Simon. Simon avoided religion his entire life. His brother Andrew, the younger one, however, was a seeker waiting for the Messiah. One day he came and found his brother Simon. Now there was no one who could convince Simon of much of anything. And it didn't take much to get Simon swinging his fist. He was a wild, tempestuous, quick-to-speak person. But Andrew, all Andrew had to do was raise his eyes and Simon would roll over. Come, Simon, and, and see the one we've been waiting for. His name is Jesus He's the one, the Messiah. And the whole way there, Simon protested, you know I do not care about such things. I would rather be fishing. And Andrew would say, but you're not catching anything, brother. Let's admit the truth. Let's go and let's see the Messiah. And perhaps there's some fish in the Jordan River. You never know. And he would come. And there was Jesus standing by the Jordan River. And Jesus had a way about him, unlike any other man I'd ever seen. And as Simon walked up to him, Jesus sized him up from bottom to top and top to bottom again. 
Now, let me tell you something, brethren. You've not been sized up until you've been sized up by the Lord God Almighty. And all Jesus said was, you'll be called Peter. And Simon said, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And good day to you, sir. And went back to his nets immediately. Now, you must show respect to the Lord, but you must admit that's a rather queer way to be meeting someone the first time you laid eyes on them. Simon's out there fishing all night, caught nothing on the Sea of Galilee, on the shore, washing his nets, throwing them out and bringing them back in again. And Jesus comes along with a great crowd. Jesus always had a great crowd following him, so much so that the crowd stretched from one end of the shore to the other. And Jesus wanted to speak to the people. They were pressing too close, so he turned around and he pushed Simon aside and said, I need your boat. Ordinarily, that would be all it would take for Simon to start swinging his fish. But Andrew looked at him, and Simon said, As you wish, Lord. And Jesus says, No, 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 no. I want you to come in the boat with me. And Simon said, But I've got the nets. And Andrew gave him a nudge. He says, Yes, Lord. And he got into the boat. And after Jesus spoke to the crowd, Jesus says, Now let's go out and let's catch some fish. And Simon said, But Lord, we've been fishing all night, and we've not caught a... Okay, Andrew. Yes, as you wish, Lord. We shall go. And he put the boat off just a little way, and Jesus said, no, let's go out to the deep water where the fish are. And Simon said, oh, that's what we've been doing wrong, out the deep water, of course, as you wish, Lord. And out they went, and presently the Lord said, this is good enough. Drop your nets down here. And so Simon and the others began to get the nets and to throw them over. And Jesus says, no, 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 not that side of the boat that side of the boat oh of course not that side of the boat that side of the boat now we're in the right water and now we've got the right side surely surely thank you very much as you wish carpenter <laughs> and simon throws the nets over and no sooner had the last rung of rope to the last net been dropped entirely under the water. Then Simon began to pull it up, assuming, as usual, it would be empty. But as he pulled, the net pulled back. And he pulled some more, and it pulled back. And he pulled yet more, and it pulled him back, so that the boat began to slip down into the water, and the water began to overlap into the boat, and the boat is filling up with water, and the fish are pulling and splashing, and he sees them, and he's holding with one net and splashing the water out with the other hand, and pulling and splashing and pulling and splashing, and he falls on his knees, and he says, My Lord and my God! He was willing to worship anyone who could catch fish like that. It was almost as if the Lord were embarrassed to have Simon kneeling before him in the presence of these other fishermen. Get up. Get up. Up. Simon rose. Jesus stood there in the boat and Simon, Simon rose to his feet. And Simon was standing 
looking eye to eye with the Son of God. And Jesus said, from now on I'll teach you to catch men. So they took the boat back to shore. And Simon left his nets and his boat and everything and followed Jesus. And the very first place that Jesus took him was the synagogue. The very place Simon had been trying to avoid his entire life. And they got into the synagogue and no sooner had they entered than a man with an evil spirit began to shriek like a howling demon. Ah! Ah! I know who you are, oh Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? And Jesus said, be quiet. Come out, you evil spirit. And with a shriek, yeah! The spirit flew out of the man and he stood there as calm as any man there be. Now, if a person has one truly great idea in their entire life, they can consider themselves fortunate and very blessed. And that was the day for Peter. For when he saw how easily and quickly Jesus cast that evil spirit from the man, he took him home to meet his mother-in-law immediately. <laughs> it's true. I wrote about it. Read. And it so happened at the time that she lie in bed sick and with a fever. And Jesus took her by the hand and raised her up. And immediately she got up and began to wait on everyone in the house and was nice even to me, the most radical transformation I'd ever seen in anyone. Well, I was a follower of Jesus from that day forth myself. I was very young. And I would follow at a distance and spy on him all the time. And I must tell you, it was the most entertainment a young man could have. Jesus one day was walking along deep in thought. And any time Jesus did not have a crowd around him, which was unusual, he would be walking deep in thought. And he was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, walking along the sands of the beach, deep in thought, and not noticing when the beach stopped and the water began. He just kept walking on the water, deep, and thought until a fish splashed up near his foot. And he just kept walking deep in thought. Now, I know we must show proper respect. Jesus was the Son of God. But brothers and sisters, he was flesh and blood like you too. He was a man. Amazing that he was a man and was able to not give in to sin. But while he did not give in to sin, it does not mean he did not give in to levity from time to time. For a little known fact that few have ever shared is that when Jesus learned he could walk on the water, 
the first thing he did was scare the brothers. The brothers knew that Jesus loved the ocean and loved the sea and loved the water and loved the fishing. Now, oh, how Simon loved for Jesus to take him fishing because it was the only time Simon ever caught a fish. And one day they said, Jesus, we're, we're going out to, to the deep water and we're going to fish on the correct side of the boat and we would like you to come with us. And Jesus said, I would be delighted to come. I no, you go on. You go on without me. I have something else to do. And Jesus had to think that through so as not to lie. <laughs> and out they went. Jesus could have shown them what he was capable of in the daytime. He chose the night when it was dark knowing full well that no one had ever seen a man walk on the water before, much less in the dark. And what no one knows, however, is not just that Jesus walked on the water, but for fun, as he got close to the boat, exactly how he walked on the water. For as he drew close to the boat, he went, Ooh! And then the apostle said, oh, it's a ghost. And she said, oh, I can't lie. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I saw Jesus. One of the few times he had a small crowd. Early in the morning. Discoursing on the kingdom of heaven as he always did. When suddenly some men who had caught a woman in adultery bring her to him and throw her before him, screaming, what should we do? Moses says to stone this woman. What say you, Rabbi? They had no concern for the woman. They simply wanted to trick Jesus, for if he said stone her, he violated civil law enforced by the Romans. If he said do not stone her, he violated the Mosaical law and perhaps would lose his credibility with the people. And so what Jesus did, as I'm sure would come to any of our minds immediately if we were in the same situation, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. And he hummed. Jesus liked to hum and sing. Does that surprise you? I have decided to follow me. And they kept screaming at him. What should we do? Should we stone her or not? What should we do? <laughs> the woman lay there, terrified. Stone her. <laughs> the men were quickly grabbing rocks and picking them up, willing to push this as far as they could possibly push it. 
unafraid for their own lives, more concerned and caught up in rapture with the thought if they had finally tricked Jesus, stone her. They're ready to throw the rocks. And he says, however, the one of you who has never, ever sinned may throw the first rock. One by one, they dropped the rocks. Even the crowd that had been there, listening to him speak, were so thunderstruck by the events which had just taken place, they each wandered to their homes, wondering what manner of man could this be. Does no one condemn you, daughter, Jesus said. For the first time, the petrified woman looked through her fingers and saw that she was alone. Only her and Jesus remained. And she said, no one, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you. Go. Relieved, she began to quickly, quickly and thankfully Walk away until Jesus said, however, and he stood before the woman, and she stood before Jesus, eye to eye with the Son of God. And he said, however, Leave your life of sin, sister. Our brethren, in an instant, both grace and conviction, both love and challenge, both forgiveness and a call to walk in the light of the Lord. Are there copies of Holy Scriptures in this room today? Ah! May, may, I, may I borrow, please? You have to come up here. I can't come down there too many. Oh, it looks new and barely used. <laughs> I am so sorry. I should, well, you must be a visitor today. We're so glad to have you. And... Hope, hope that you will... This, uh, you, you may be seated for just a moment. I, I will bother you again in a moment. Oh. Mm. Mm. Lord, if I've ever needed the gift of tongues, I need them now. Thank you, Lord.
the gospel of Mark. <laughs> There's no such thing. It's not the gospel of Mark. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's, it's not even my sermon. Simon Peter was my father in the faith. And before he died, he taught me something. You see, from the day that I had started to follow Jesus, my life began to change. And I was like an adopted son into the family of Simon and Andrew and their extended family, which included his cousin Barnabas. They brought me in, for I was just a poor, poor young boy. My mother, another distant relative of theirs, was a widow. I was there when Jesus wrote on the ground, for sure. And it occurs to me, you've wondered what he wrote on the ground. I saw it, I could tell you. Would you like to know? Me too, because at the time I could not read. The brothers changed that. While I was not gifted to be called by a rabbi, I learned to read. I learned to write. You know, all properly raised Hebrew boys, by the time they were ten, memorized the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all committed to memory by the time you were ten years old. I hear some people have problems with memory verses these days. The young girls memorized the Psalms, even the long ones, by the time they were 10. I learned Torah. I learned Midrash after I began to follow Jesus and came in the company of my family who are also followers of the way. I learned to read. I learned to write, and I loved to write. Some need to read some more. This is yours. You may have it back. Read it. Thank you very much. Come back and visit us again. I see great future for you. And so Simon, not knowing for sure but feeling that in his longest journey from Jerusalem, he might never be coming back. He said, now come, Mark, I want you to write some sermons for me. First, some letters. We need to send some letters to our brothers. We need to let them know and encourage them how we embrace the Gentiles. The kingdom must be one. And in that last and final letter that he wrote, he wrote inside it, he said, we must make every effort to see to it that when I'm gone, they will remember all these things. And no sooner had that letter been sent and circulated than my father said, I must go now to Rome and I do not know if I will go back. But before I go, there is one more thing you must write for me. And I said, whatever you wish. 
He said, I want you to record the sermon. And I said, the sermon? He said, yes. And that was a sermon that from the earliest days of the church and to his older age, Simon Peter preached everywhere he went, over and over and over again. A sermon which he began to preach and I began to write and write and write and copy as he dictated a sermon I had heard dozens of times myself. A sermon which you now know as the Gospel of Mark. It was my father in the faith, Simon Peter's sermon that he preached from the day the church started until the day they hung him upside down. I know what many of you are thinking. Perhaps you thought the moment you saw me. Isn't this the man who deserted the Apostle Paul? Yes, I was very young. And I made a mistake for which I am ashamed. But you have no idea what it was like following someone like Paul. We were in Pamphylia, having been traveling all over the kingdom come already. And he was relentless and unstoppable. And we were walking on a dusty road one day when the last straw came and we passed a well of fresh water. And I said, Brother Paul, why don't we stop and have a drink? And he turned and he says, Boy, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all this will be given to you as well. He kept on walking. I said, well, yes, I know we must seek first the kingdom, but it looks like this was just given to us. Perhaps if we could stop. He said, boy, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. And he kept on walking. I said, well, yes, but I'm, I, you know, it's, it's, it's fine, the plow. And I heard Jesus say those words, but, but there's water here. And boy, Jesus said to go into all the world and we must go. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I said, but someone might come here for some water. We could tell them too. Boy, I'd had enough. Enough! I left and I went back to Judea. All the way I was arguing with the man who wasn't even there. You call me boy and I was there with Jesus and I heard him say some of the... They walked, he walked on the ground and I was there and, and he walked on the water and I saw all of these things and... You, you shouldn't, and you should be nicer if you want people to follow after you and, as you teach Jesus. And, and it's just a drink of water. Everyone needs water. You have to have water to get baptized. We could be drinking some water. Someone could come. We could drop them in the well, pull them out. There we go. Why couldn't we do that? Why does it have It was the biggest mistake of my life. And so imagine my surprise. And my joy. When Timothy burst into my room years and years and years later and said, he wants you. Now, Timothy had the gift of prophecy. And so at first, I thought he was saying that the Lord wanted me, that my time had come and I was about to die. He said, he wants you. I said, now? He said, yes, hurry, quick. I have to hurry. He said, yes, Paul wants you right now. My wonderment 
at the mere thought that Paul would want me overcame my relief that he wasn't talking about me dying. Timothy said, yes, come quickly. He says, you are useful for his ministry. I said, useful? Where is he? In prison. He said, get the parchments. He wants to write. Bring the parchments. He wants your help. So I went. We went all the way to Rome. And Paul was in the little house he had been imprisoned in before. The one that Luke wrote about. On that occasion, he eventually had been released. He went on another journey all the way north of what is today called Spain. And he came back and on his return, he was arrested again. This time, never again to be released. We did not know it at the time, but when I entered and lay eyes on Paul, it would be mere weeks before that old head would be taken from his body by the Roman execution. I come inside and I set the parchments and the writing materials down and he gets up. This beaten, broken man, he looks so crumpled and old, older than his years. He gets up and as disheveled as he was, straightens his back as straight as he can and the first words out of his mouth are, Boy! Come here where I can see you. I came over. And he looked at me. He said, boy, are you with me? I straightened my back. And I said, Brother Paul, yes, thank you so much. Boy, are you with me? And I said, well, yes, Brother Paul. I'm so glad you called me and gave me the second opportunity to go. Boy! Five times I was handed over to the Jews to receive the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. In danger from rivers. In danger from bandits. In danger in the country. In danger in the city. In danger from the Jews. In danger from the Gentiles. In danger from my countrymen. In danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've been hungry and thirsty and gone without food. I've been tired and naked and yet face daily my pressure for the concern of all the churches. Now, boy, are you with me? And I said, so help me, God, yes! And he said, don't yell. <laughs> we need to preach. I've been flogged, I've been jailed more severely than anyone. Here, my days are short. As an apostle, you never know how many days you have. We must preach. I'll preach, you write. Get the parchments, let's go. Start writing. And he began to preach. There were more. People leaving the church than coming into the church during this period of persecution. There were more Hebrews who had become disciples who now were leaving, saying it's hard enough being a Jew in Roman times. We don't have to be a Christian as well. Paul, who had spread the gospel to all the Gentiles, carried a burden in his heart for the Jews like no one else. Only Peter could rival it. 
For Peter could never, ever take his heart from Jerusalem. And when he did, he was crucified for it. Paul said, we must write. We must write to the Jews about this great salvation. We must write to the Jews about what God has given us. And that they see to it that no bitter root grows up amongst them to defile many. So many are being defiled and pulled out of the church. They need, they need faith. For without faith it's impossible to please. Are you writing this down? I said, yes, as fast as I can. Every day he preached. And I would write. He'd preach and I would write. And from that day until the last day I saw him. Never did a time end without him saying, tell me again about the day our Lord was crucified. The first time, that first day that he said it, I did what I always would do. I stood up and I straightened myself in the proper posture for preaching the word of God. And I said on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was led by the guards to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Boy, you were there. I don't want you quoting sermons by Peter, which you wrote excellently, I must say. But no, I want to know what you saw, what you remember, how you felt, what happened when Jesus was crucified. Ah, brethren. There was no question that pierced my heart. More than that. And to have to tell this man whom I deserted what I felt and what I saw. For on the night Jesus was betrayed, I was there too. And when they arrested him, one of the guards saw me. I'd snuck out of my mother's house. I was still a young boy. Wearing nothing but a linen ephod. On that hot night. And the guard said, there's one hiding there. And he grabbed me and he pulled the linen ephod right off of my naked body. And I ran through the garden. And I don't know what was worse to tell Paul. That when you ask me about the crucifixion of Jesus, I go there to when I ran away. Yes. I run away. That's what I do. That's what I did. But I didn't run now. I'm here. Every day, when I think of Jesus, I remember two things. I deserted him. And he resurrected for me. Grace and challenge in one moment. I know what happened the next day, but from memory all I can tell you 
is from a distance, even further than my father, Simon Peter. I watched everything. I could not hear everything. I could hear the thieves when they were being crucified, screaming so that their valleys echoed across the Kidron Valley. And I could see that Jesus stood there and when no one held him, crown of thorns crushed down on his head. When they ripped the scarlet robe off his back, not being able to tell had it been scarlet or was it just the blood soaked in. It ripped open the flesh that showed his bones, meat pool of blood at his feet. But while they were crucifying the thieves, no one held on to him. He stood there. He looked at the cross he was about to be nailed to. And without anyone's forcing, he gave himself freely. Romans turned around and they saw him and they began to laugh. Oh, look at this Jewish dog. Appropriate dog. Appropriate dog. Submit yourself. And they took the nails and they put them on his wrist and his feet. And in quick work, they raised the hammer and brought it down. And down again. And down. <sighs> him up on that cross. They dropped him into the ground. And he hung there for six hours. Suspended between the earth that he had helped create with the Father and the Spirit. And the heavens to which he belonged. For he was too good for this earth. But he hung there. And he said many things. But I did not hear them with my ear until the middle of the hot afternoon when he shouted so that his voice rang out across the Kidron Valley. <laughs> it is... Into your hands, Abba. I come with my spirit. And he breathed one last breath and let it out and slumped on that cross. And the sun stopped shining 
just that quickly. Hey, you must understand it was the middle of a hot afternoon. No lamps had been trimmed. No torches had been lit. The evening was not time to come yet. The men whose chore it is to place oil and stands along the street, they had not done so. And so when the sun immediately stopped shining, it was so dark that for the first instance, you could not see your hand in front of your face. It was as if we had killed the light. And we had. We had. Many more things happened, Paul says. As you can imagine. Again, I ran away. I started running and running and running. Paul and I turned. And his body was shaking uncontrollably that it took me a moment to realize he was sobbing. And he pulled himself up. And he pulled me over to him. And he looked me in the eyes like he'd never looked at me before. And he said, I have fought a good fight. Have I not? I have run my race well. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. There's a crown of righteousness for me and for you and for all those. He said to go. And we went. And we still have to go to preach in season and out of season. Remember what you told me. Remember what you just said. And go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them as Jesus told us. And then teach them everything you said. My son, my good son, Mark, you tell them. And he never called me boy again. Well, there's more I could tell you, but my time is short. I don't say that because I worry the Romans will burst in here and kill us at any moment. It's just at my age, your time is always short. I will leave you with this thought. That this great cloud of witnesses which surrounds us in time will engulf us. And the only thing important in all eternity is that we stop running away and start running towards the light of the world. All of these witnesses who walked with Jesus went to their deaths proclaiming the one undeniable fact that binds all Christians together. He rose from the dead. And so we must rise to proclaim His gospel. Even my dear brother Thomas was a great evangelist for the Lord. Preached all the way to India. 
converted so many people that the persecutors attacked him and shot him full of arrows. And as he lay dying, with his last breath, he was proclaiming the gospel. So a man with a spear came over and stood above him and was ready to shove the spear and said, I'm going to kill you. Thomas started laughing. (laughs) And the man said, I can take that smile off your face. And Thomas said, I seriously doubt it. God bless you all.